Yeah, so last week, if you missed out, um, I do encourage you to look at the podcast because we've been sort of doing a series, not one that we made up, but one that God made up, (laughs) on the Father Heart of God. Um, And Tim talked a lot last week about adoptions. (laughs) I'm not having much luck with my music stand. (laughs) They're not foolproof music stands. We have a long history together. Um, Yeah, so, and we feel like... You know, as people who serve Jesus, one of the most important things that we can do is actually understand who he is. We need to know the character of the God that we serve um, and the character of the God that we're partnering with. So in order to know him uh, and make him known correctly, we need to know him in a deeper way. So this is kind of what God's doing at the moment. And if you missed it, please go back and listen to it. I'm going to expand on that and touch on it a little bit so that would help you. But I'm not going to repeat it because it's there and it's recorded and you can hear it. Um, So I actually woke up in the middle of the night um, with three stories on my heart, which doesn't happen to me very often. But I just felt these, and they were the parables, so stories that Jesus told to try and explain something about his character. Um, that's what I woke up in the middle of the night with these, with these three stories, not just one. Um, so when I got up in the morning, <laughs> I don't know where they are in the Bible, so I looked them up, um, and it turned out that all three of them were on a double-page spread in my tiny little Bible. Um, and I, you know, I like to be amazed by things like that. And I was like, whoa, that's significant. <laughs> so I feel like God really is on this. But what I want to unpack from those stories is the depth of the Father heart of God towards us, firstly. But how does that look in reality? So it has to look like something. Um, So we talked a lot last week about our adoption as sons and a spirit of adoption as opposed to a spirit um, of an orphan, which is realising actually that we do have a father. Um, And over and over again, when we feel deeply (laughs) that love of God and that adoption from God, we realise that it is the amazing grace that we all sing about. The reason that that song sticks with people for a long time is that it's what God has already done. It's all him all him. It's all done and there's, uh, there's no more that we can do and it's only by grace. So that's the amazing grace part of it. And yet we live in this tension. There are lots of tensions <laughs> in spiritual life between amazing grace and being adopted as sons um, and the responsibilities that we have from being in a relationship. There's two sides to that. Um, so relationship has a pursuit but then it has a response. There's an interaction and there's a, a back and forth. Um, and in some of my work and some of the research that I've had to do, uh, there's an experiment out there called the blank face experiment. And it sounds quite harsh and it's very sh- short term that they did this. I'm sure there was a lot of ethical committee involved. But it's called the blank face experiment because they take babies um, and what they do is they ask the caregiver who's looking at, that, that has attachment with that baby to be blank faced. No reaction, nothing. Um, And then they film what the baby does, and it's very short, it's only a few minutes. But even in a few minutes, what they notice is um, the baby does things to try and get a response. So it starts making the noises, it starts verbalising, it starts doing all the cute stuff that it knows usually works. So smiling and grabbing necklaces and um, making noises, all that stuff. And then it starts to scrape the bottom of the barrel. I say, okay, now I'm going to scream. Now I'm going to cry. And eventually, if they let it go long enough, the baby will go limp. I'm sick. 
Help me. So it does everything that knows how to do to get a response because hardwired into how God made us, and Tim talked about Genesis last week, is that we are relational beings. We're hardwired into us from birth is this call and response, and that's how we grow and develop as a person. We develop attachment. So we say something and somebody is face-to-face with us responding. Um, and it's the same with God. You know, Tim and I married very young. I was 18 almost 19. I was very young. Um, So we learned a lot in those early years because um, I felt like I was a very even-tempered young lady. Uh, So what I would do if we were trying to figure out our relationship and having a bit of conflict is I would be like super self-controlled and very chilled and just very even-tempered. But actually what I was doing was probably running away from things. So I would like go to another room or I would go for a walk and I would just be like, I I drove him nuts. Absolutely nuts. Um, (laughs) Because he was wanting to communicate about something and actually what I was doing was icing him out. Um, And I thought it was very mature of me. Um, But it wasn't. And then it wasn't until I started to work with that back and forward and get messy with that, um, that we really developed that intimacy and that growth in our marriage. So without pursuit and response, there isn't any growth in a relationship. So everything that I'm going to say today is based on two premises, and they're two premises that we struggle with a lot, and we're still learning them. So if you're working through them, still keep working through them. I'm not going to talk about them today. But the premises are, the first thing is that God is good. He has nothing but good intentions for us. And so much of the time we hold on to this little underneath the surface thing that we're actually a little bit suspicious of him. Um, and he's not as good as he says he is. So the first thing that I'm going to base everything I said on today is that God is good. And the second thing is that God is love. Um, and that his love means that he's ever present and ever involved and ever interested in us um, and will not abandon us. Um, so I realise that people and all of us are still working through that to a deeper and deeper level. Um, but there's a song out there called Good, Good Father. You might have known it because it got super popular So someone wrote this amazing song, but then it was covered by about 20 different bands and just about every um, church in the world uh, sung it for about two years. Um, But the, the chorus is, you're a good, good father. It's who you are and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. And actually repeats itself over and over and over. And I was thinking about that. It's like, what is it about this song that's just taken off? And I realized it's those two foundational truths that we struggle with, that God is good, he's a good father, and that he does love us. Um, And because we struggle with that, we need to sing it a lot and we need to remind ourselves a lot of who he is. So anyway, we're going to the first parable now. So these are the three stories that I woke up in the night thinking of, and it's from Luke 15. It's the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls to his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And I think... What we need to establish early on is that the pursuit is God's alone. He is sovereign, but the pursuit comes from the Father heart and his desire for relationship. He is relational in his core being. So he initiates with us. 
the initiation has already been made. It was Jesus. So everything that is needed for us to have a relationship with God has already been done in the cross. That was him getting us back from our lostness. Uh, from the kingdom of darkness. And sometimes I play this game just called But For Jesus. And I, have, I just try and imagine what my life would look like if God had not intervened. If Jesus had not found me, what would my life look like? And sometimes I think maybe I would be a crazy cat lady. <laughs> I would definitely be um, some kind of scaredy cat worrier, maybe like a little bit neurotic. There's kind of flashes of those things already, isn't there? But, but for Jesus, I would be way worse. <laughs> because it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 30. I do have a lot of scripture today. I apologise, but I'll read fast. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. He's done it all. And it is finished. But the thing about relationship is... Oh, hang on. I'm lost. Sorry. Sometimes I think about what lost actually means. What does a lost sheep look like? So sometimes it's just confusion, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, where am I? What am I doing? Wandering about in life without purpose or direction. Sometimes it's the fact that from a young age when we were vulnerable, we've been led astray by other people. Not our fault. Naivety. Um, but it can be just being isolated from relationship, from community, all those things. So before we meet Jesus, we are lost. But also after we meet Jesus, we can still have seasons of feeling lost. And I have this lovely older friend and she was describing the phenomenon that is between Christmas and New Year. Do you know the phenomenon I talk about where time goes into a vortex? And it's like December 27, 28, 29, 20 and 30. I feel sorry for people who have their birthdays then because nobody remembers. Those days don't exist. Nobody knows what they're doing or where they are or what year it is. And she was laughing about that coupled onto the fact that you're, sometimes you spend a lot of time with family that you don't see very often, that you don't have very close relationship with, and you have these days where you're just like, who am I again? What am I doing with my life? Where do I live? What's my name? And we were laughing about this, and she said, you know, and I was going for this walk in these days and just feeling really lost. She said, and then I just remembered, well, God knows where I am. He'll come and find me. And I've never forgotten it. It was the tiniest little conversation. But the seasons that I'm feeling like that, I'm like... He'll come and find me. He knows where I am. And the pursuit is his. And I love that the Father heart of God, when it pursues and initiates and invites, when you're brought back in, um, it's not with a sigh and a big eye roll. It's with a celebration and a party. So sometimes we feel like... Um, that God's just going to grab us in, put us in, say, if I have to come and get you one more time. And the parable reminds us, that jolts your understanding of the Father heart, doesn't it? Because there isn't any of that. There's just a party. There's just an invitation to like, yes, 
got him back. This is great. But the thing about relationship is the initiator carries all the risk. So the person who pursues and initiates leaves themselves wide open for rejection. And that's why I think there's more than one parable about this. So the lost sheep isn't the whole story. And sometimes we go so far into the lost sheep side of God's father heart that we think we have no active role to play. So no matter what we do, no matter where we end up, God's just going to come and find us. And the lost sheep reminds us that he does do that when we are lost. Um, But the invitation has already gone out. He's already done everything in Jesus. So the response now is ours. We are living right now in the time of response. There is a responsibility. So it adds to it in the prodigal son, and this draws even more out. I'm not going to read the whole parable because I know it goes into the older brother as well, but I'm just going to read from 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country. He sent him in the field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have, no food, have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. In this parable, God is still the good father, but this time the sheep isn't lost. This time, the son has known and experienced sonship and still chose to walk away. This is not a lost son scenario. Because love, true love leaves room for rejection. Because if it's not freely chosen, it's not actually love. It has to be a free choice. So God is sovereign. We do believe that completely. And the pursuit has been his. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. But the response is yours. You have the freedom to walk away. You have a choice. And in God's sovereignty, even though he is sovereign, he has hardwired in us freedom. So our response is not automatic. He could have designed little robots That just automatically did everything he said, but that wouldn't be relationship. And his priority is relationship. So we have this freedom to choose a love response to him. So it's not enough to understand God's father heart as head knowledge. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is good. And it's not enough to experience it at one time. Yes, I've responded to a salvation prayer. You have to live in that space permanently, daily. 
And what I love about this parable is when it says in the verse, when he was still a long way off. So what we can trust about the Father heart of God is he is watching for that response, like a hawk or an eagle. It's like, eyes on you, waiting for the slightest heart turn, the, the tiniest moment where you said, yep, I need God, I know I need God, and he's right there. His eyes were already watching for that. He's already seen it coming. And we sometimes have that prodigal moment and then we have our speech prepared for God. You know, the I'm sorry speech? It's like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm not really worthy. I'm just going to live around the fringes of my relationship with God because I've stuffed it up the first time. So our solution to this free choice we've had to walk away from, from God's heart is to volunteer to live as second-class citizens. And this parable just goes back there again and again that there is no place in the Father's house for second-class citizens. Yeah? And we think that, okay, it'll be all right if we're just tolerated, if we're silenced, um, but no way do we ever imagine that we're going to be celebrated. We're just going to be tolerated and we'll just be present, but we'll never really be truly involved as a son anymore because we've stuffed it up. So the response is ours, but even if we choose to reject him, the minute we desire to be back into relationship and we make that move, we are fully reinstated in that relationship because he only has sons. He doesn't have a second space for sons who are volunteering to live as servants, living with an orphan spirit like Tim was talking about last week. So I'll come home to God, but I've got no expectation of sonship whatsoever. God's just going to tolerate me from now on until heaven. And that's why it's amazing grace. Because he doesn't, God doesn't even give a second thought to the I'm sorry speech. That's what I noticed when I was reading it. It's like he didn't even answer him. He just gave him his best I'm sorry speech. And it doesn't say that, God, that the father even responded. He just turned to his servants and went, start the party. Completely ignored the I'm sorry speech. So it's overruled. He's like... Here's your ring, here's your robe, here's your welcome home party. The full authority and riches of the Father is reinstated in that second. No questions asked. Jesus says in this parable that not only sonship is the expectation, but all other options are removed. <laughs> you don't have another option. You're a son or you're not. There's, there's no in-between. And the Father that we serve, he so values that relationship of sons that he overrides how worthy we feel. He doesn't leave room for the variation of how we feel about our relationship with him. There is only sons. So the father heart pursues us. We have the freedom to respond or not. But any sincere turn towards Jesus, no matter how small, it will never be rejected. There is no risk of rejection with the father. None. If you want in, you're in. <laughs> but then what? There's relationship. But then there's this parable, Luke 14, 15 to 24. It says, the parable of the great banquet. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything's now ready. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, I must go and see it, please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, I'm on my way to try them out, please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servants, go out into the roads and the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. That's the hardcore side of the father heart. <laughs> the pursuit is his. The response is ours, but then what? So sometimes we live with this partial gospel. So the gospel that we tell and the gospel we live is this finished worth of the cross. I've accepted Jesus, I have forgiveness. Um, but then we live out the rest of our days with an orphan spirit just waiting for heaven and doing the normal daily life stuff that all humans do. But the full gospel is that the finished work of the cross allows us access to the Holy Spirit who testifies that we are sons and daughters of God. And then we take our place um, in partnering and advancing his kingdom and extending the invite to others. We don't just get forgiven and then carry on with our business until heaven. It's, there's not a gap in there. Um, and this parable, he was telling it, it says, to the prominent Pharisees. So he was at this dinner party of very important people. That invited him because they were fascinated and they were trying to catch him out. He was like the entertainment. Let's question Jesus and see if we can really cause trouble. Um, and he had healed someone right there in front of them at the dinner party. And then he told them lots of stuff about humility and look after the poor and don't be so important. And if you do all of those things, you'll be rewarded at the resurrection. So they've just been told all this stuff. And so um, this parable comes in response to the one guy who says, that sounds great. Blessed is the one who eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. What he was actually saying is, yep, one day, if you do all the right stuff, you will get the reward. So that's what this guy was saying, and Jesus kind of had to say, okay, you're living with this knowledge of this one day. They had everything in the Old Testament that told them the Messiah King was coming. They'd had it their whole lives. They were living for this one day all the time. The whole nation of Israel had the scriptures and all the promises that had come. So they were aware that God was going to do this thing one day, one day in the future. And Isaiah 42.9, these were the kind of promises they had. See, the former things have taken place, the new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I'll announce them to you. So Isaiah was one of the prophets. Daniel was another prophet. Daniel 2.44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. So these people were living under foreign occupation under a foreign government, under an army, and dreaming of this one day because their mistake was thinking that God would do the things the way he'd always done them. So their freedom and their kingdom was a physical king. It was being allowed to worship God the way they wanted, to have borders of their country, and God was going to do it with armies and kings the way he'd always done them. But the promises of God actually said, no, it's, it's going to be a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. But they had this, the people at the dinner party had this expectation. So they missed that the kingdom of God was sitting at the table at the dinner party. 
The kingdom of God was right there in front of them, but their expectation was that God was going to do things the same way he'd always done them. Jesus was the new thing that God had been promising all those years. Um, And his was the kingdom. So because Jesus was there with them, the kingdom of God was there. The king that could never be overthrown and the kingdom who never could be destroyed was right there, right now, with this guy. And Jesus wasn't shy about saying it. He said it. Mark chapter 1, 15, one of the things Mark first records him as saying, saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. He's not shy about it. The kingdom's here. I'm preaching the kingdom. And so he tells them this parable. So the guests at the feast that Jesus was talking about was Israel. They had the original invitation. So back then in their culture, when they were having a dinner party, they would invite everybody and people would accept. And then when the food was actually ready, because I suppose they had to like, I don't know, pluck chickens and I don't know, whatever they did. It took a long time to get food ready back then. You couldn't just go and get some hot chips and here it is, guys. So they had to do all the food preparations from, you know, what do they call it? Nose to tail cuisine. They had to do all of that and then they would send their servant out saying, okay, it's ready, come on. So there was actually kind of two stages of invitations. So the first one would go out and these guests that were in the parable, they'd already been invited and they'd already accepted, I'll come to your party. But when the servant goes out and says, okay, now's the time, let's go, they're like, oop, got a bit busy and turn him down. When the time actually came, other priorities had crept in. Business, money, career, romantic relationships, things in the natural. And do those things sound familiar to us? So we might have already accepted God's invitation earlier in life, but then the call comes that God is about to do something new or something great, but we've already built a life for ourselves in the natural. And it's really hard to untangle ourselves from that. When God says now, we have to be able to tear ourselves away from what we're doing in order to be present with relationship with him. As the Father's heart is to put on a party. And going back to the fact that if God is good and if God is love, it's going to be a really good party. It's not going to be a party that you want to miss. And everyone has been invited. But sometimes we forfeit God's banquet for checking out the oxen. I said that to Prue the other day when we were having a coffee and she's like, Oxen, what are you talking about? (laughs) I had to go back and tell the parable before it made sense because it's not something you drop into conversation often. Got to go check out my oxen. Um, (laughs) And sometimes it's for romance. And business and career and romance, they are all good things. But none of them are as good as an invitation from the Father. So there is a reality to what a relationship is. A pursuit and a response has to look like something. Having a relationship has to look like something. There's a physicality to showing up. So responding to God's invitation for relationship has a reality. It's not just a one-time tick box that we tick and then we just mark time until heaven. And that's the parable. Um, If we're too busy, we can miss it. And if we don't show up, he's going to find someone else. He will find someone And that's the Father heart. He invites everybody all the time. The invitation is always going out. And so even if we miss it, his table will be full and full of unexpected people. Maybe like people who are humble. It said the poor 
broken people, people not even thought of who weren't even invited the first time around. They were just walking past on the road. But the one thing they all had in common was availability. Sure, I'll come. I can come. I'm ready. Yep, I'll turn up. So the kingdom of God is not a one day in heaven. It's here and now. So wherever Jesus is honoured as king, the banquet is going on right now. So there's a party going on right now. There's relationship with us, with God, right now. There's a celebration right now. There's joy right now. He is inviting right now. And he's doing something in us and in our city. And if you've been aware of some of the things God is saying through prayer and through scripture, and um, not just in our church, but in the wider church and all down the east coast of Australia, you'll be aware that he is doing something right now. He's initiated this. But the response is yours. You can choose to turn, come to your senses, (laughs) and head for home. And he'll be right there, right there to reinstate you as a son and daughter of the Most High God. No questions asked, just a party and a welcome. But it's got to look like something in real life. Responding to God's invitation has to look like turning up to what God is doing right here and right now. So it's a big invitation, but it's a fun one. (laughs) Everyone wants to come to a party. Um, And life with God is never dull. So that's the invitation that we have. And if you've checked yourself out um, for a long time, you've responded to God earlier in life and then you've checked out, um, marking time, um, this is the call. The Father heart calls calls again. He wants you in. He wants you to be in on what he's doing because it's good and it's fun and it's an adventure. Um, And he will continue to invite because that's the kind of father he is. But the response is yours. Mm. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the work that you are doing restoring. We thank you for the work that you're doing in reinstating. We thank you for your amazing grace. That no matter how far we've run, no matter how many times we've said no, the minute that we say yes, Jesus... We are in your kingdom and we are in relationship with a good father. We just pray, God, that we understand the depth of your love, that the depth of that love will keep us in your house, to keep us in relationship with you. And Father, give us your heart to invite everyone always, that everyone is invited, Father. Help us to have that heart that sees that you want relationship with each and every person. So just in this moment, God, if we need to come to our senses and turn back to the Father, God, I just pray that you meet people right there in that moment. And we thank you, God, for celebration that you don't just tolerate us, that you celebrate us. Mm. 